0: So why we head over to somewhere that you've probably never been before, it's called the show notes. So whatever app you're listening in, if it's Spotify or Apple podcasts or anything at all, head to the show notes, click on my special link, and then you can browse thousands of gigs ready to help you with your next project. And now let's dive into today's episode. Let's go. Thank you for listening to season seven, 7 Million Bites, a Vietnam podcast. I'm your host, Neil McKay. For those of you that listen to the podcast regularly, you'll know that Adrian and I have been in Vietnam now since 2016, so we know how hard it can be to find English entertainment here and meet new friends. Through the podcast and our events, we're building a community of like-minded people so you can have fun, connect with others, and discover more of Vietnam. Become a member of the 7 Million Bikes community and you'll get free tickets to our events, free 7 Million Bikes face masks, episodes a day early behind the scenes content and invites to special events for community members if you join the community before the end of september and live in vietnam you'll get a free seven million bikes face mask sent to you straight away the link is in the show description so check it out and join today thank you so much to our existing community members we look forward to seeing you again soon this season we've gifted sponsorship of a vietnam podcast to two amazing charities close to our hearts The Blue Dragon Children's Foundation in the north and Saigon Children's Charity in the south. Please check out the links in the description to learn more about these amazing organizations and donate if you can. Don't forget to follow 7 Million Bikes on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and I cannot believe I'm saying this, even TikTok now. Enjoy the episode and thanks for listening. All right, welcome to another episode of 7 Million Bikes, a Vietnam podcast. I'm your host, as always, Neil Mackay. Now, my guest today is the founder and creator of the Vietnamese Boat People podcast. It's an award-winning podcast which shares the stories of Vietnamese diaspora, something we've talked a lot about with our guests who are children of people who were, in fact, Vietnamese boat people. She's the youngest of seven children and was born in Nha Trang here in Vietnam before her family risked their lives to flee Vietnam. My guest today I'm very excited to have on is Tracy Nguyen Mang. Thank you for coming on.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: You are very, very welcome. I'm very excited to have you on. I try not to get too overexcited for certain guests. I don't want other guests to feel bad, but I have been excited for this one and partly because I became aware of your podcast, I don't know exactly when, either early this year or late last year. And and then all of a sudden, it was one of those things, then the topic just kept coming up with my guests because if you look back through, I have a lot of VQs or Vietnamese overseas. I know different people use different terms, but people that are... Um, the diaspora from around the world, which I'd never even heard that word before. And then now uh, I realize that it's it's a really important term. And it's especially for Vietnamese who are now very much spread out across the world. So honestly, as soon as I heard your podcast, which is really amazing. um, Congratulations on that. And congratulations on winning an award. That's amazing. Almost immediately, I was like, I want to have her on the show. So look, let's get into it. Um, Tell me all about Vietnamese boat people because I've listened to it I love it I think it's unbelievable um for me as a non-Vietnamese person I've lived here a long time obviously I've I'd read some books I've read a little bit about Vietnamese boat people and but I've learned so much more from your podcast and something and you can talk on it a bit more and I, then I'll stop talking but even from my own experience with friends here I know that it's difficult. It's a difficult experience and situation to talk about, whether they're a boat person or whether it's um, related to the war. I know people here who their parents have never really told them much about their experiences. They've just overheard stuff where they've been drinking beer with their friends, and that's the only way that they've learned what their parents actually went through. And so that's what I think is... Uh, so I kind of knew this already, and then seeing, listening to your podcast, reading your website, and seeing that's actually a massive, massive... I don't know if it's say issue or challenge you could call it around the world for the Vietnamese diaspora to have those conversations and one of the things and then I will stop talking and and I want to I want to hear from you I thought was amazing on your website was the conversation kit to talk with parents so please talk about that as well so I'm going to stop talking please tell all of our listeners because I'm sure they're as excited as I am how did the Vietnamese boat people start what is it about and tell us everything
1: Thank you. No, everything, all your observations are right on point. For me, you know, in your introduction, I came to the United States at the age of three. So we, you know, we stayed in Vietnam after the war. I mean, the diaspora journey of the Vietnamese people are at varying levels, but really, up until 1975, there were very few Vietnamese people living in other countries. And if they were, it was because they were either studying overseas or involved in some sort of diplomatic um, career. And so 1975 was really the point where because of the war and because people were trying to flee the conflict of the war and and the results, that's where the community was spreading all over the world. And for me, growing up back then in 1981, which is when I came to the U.S., there were few Vietnamese people. They were starting to populate, but, for, and depending on where you lived in the United States, you might be surrounded by a community where like they were familiar with other Asian groups, like Chinese Americans, Japanese Americans, but Vietnamese Americans, like they don't really know anything about Vietnamese people other than the war, because that was what was being portrayed within the U.S. media. So for me, and I think my experience, when I started the podcast, I I discovered that it was very common among other communities. But we grew up where, you know, inside our house, I spoke Vietnamese. I mean, it's my first language, but I never formally got educated in Vietnamese. But outside of our home, you can just imagine as a child, I just wanted to fit in. I was surrounded by a lot of, you know, white friends and I was in I was in the public school system, but based on the dividing points, I ended up in a school where there were very few minorities, where it was a lot of middle to upper class. And I just happened to be on the borderline of government housing. You know, my parents were in the low income bracket. And so when I stepped outside of my house, it was a completely different world at school. And so a lot of what I think I spent my childhood doing was kind of suppressing my history Inheritage, heritage because I wanted to adapt and assimilate. And I think my parents wanted that for all of us. So there was that understanding that, you know, we don't have to always talk about the past The children are too young. And to your point, it's very traumatizing, you know? And so my mom had always been very open about what our life was like in Vietnam. You know, we lived in very poor living conditions. My parents actually came from a lot of wealth, but you know, as, You might have heard or read, you know, there was a lot of regulations afterwards. So everybody was kind of put on similar social economic class and it was was hard and we were struggling. And then when we came to the U.S., we were still struggling, right? I mean, now we didn't speak the language. We didn't know the culture. We were on like subsidized housing, food stamps, whatever it might be. And so all of that, I think is just heavy for a child, right? Let me just fast forward of how Vietnamese boat people began. I think it is. I feel like what I call the, the epic combination of varying forces. <laughs> One, I became a mother. I had two children, and I got married and um, had children a little bit later. I mean, nowadays it's common, but I was, you know, thirty-five um, by the time I had my first child, and so by the time I turned forty. I was in this moment where I, you know, was very doing very well in corporate America, but I was always questioning whether or not that's what I wanted to do. At the same time, when I turned 40, my dad turned 80 and I'm the youngest of seven. So, you know, his, my children were born and my dad was 80 and my youngest child was two. I think my other one was three. And I just felt like, oh, my gosh, you know, I don't know how much longer my parents are going to be around. And I just am not sure that I know enough about our history to be be able to even tell our children. And also, like all these things were coming back to me. You know, I my children were born in New York City and also this generation of parents were crazy. I mean, I was constantly looking for the best preschool, every, you know, gadget that came out, learning or comfort, whatever it might be to raise your child, I was all over it. I was like monitoring their schedule on my mobile app, like crazy things that my parents never had the time to think about. Um, And, you know, we bought our first house. Both my husband and I had demanding jobs, so we had a nanny to take care of the kids. So... I was just at this phase in my life where I was like, everything that I'm able to provide for my children today is nothing that I grew up. With. You know, we came from very humble, modest beginnings in the U.S. And so it just felt like I was distancing them from all the history and the upbringing. And it also made me question like the values of how I was raising my children. And so all of these forces going on in my mind. So finally, one day I said, you know what? I should just record my family's story. And I bought a mic and I went down to DC because my parents were in Northern Virginia at the time. And I just said, hey, I'm kind of starting this oral history (laughs) for our family can you just like tell me the story? Because I just, you know, I want to save it for like the grandchildren. I was like, I feel like growing up, you told me bits and pieces of it. And that only came from mom. um, And dad never talked about it. My brothers never talked about it. And so my family is, it goes four boys and three girls. And so my oldest brother and I, the age gap is 17 years. And in 1979, my dad left with my oldest brother. In uh, 1980, my three brothers were teenagers. They escaped by themselves. And then in 1981, my mom took my sisters and I, and I was three, and my oldest sister was 10. So these were three separate escapes, three years apart. And if your listeners are not familiar with these journeys, it was very expensive and risky to leave at that time. So for an entire family of nine to leave together, one, we could not afford it, but two, it was highly risky. And then also the thought process is if some family members can make it, you know, outside into the United States, perhaps they can send money and support the ones that are left behind. So that is a very common theme among families back then when they were trying to flee the country. But My brothers had a really hard time because they came here as teenagers. So they were already put in the school system in high school, if you can imagine, and they didn't speak the language. And back then there was no ESL, English as a second language. That course is now common in the public school system, but they didn't have that back then. So my brothers went astray, you know, as they became teenagers and young adults. So like our relationship wasn't close. And I was too young to even like ask them the right questions or even be curious, to be quite honest. My dad is your typical, I think, Vietnamese man, very quiet, very reserved. I actually don't remember having a real conversation with him longer than 20 minutes. That was just how our relationship was. But now I was 40 and I'm like, what the heck do I have to lose? (laughs) And, and I think, I think as soon as I told my dad that I said, you know what, I just want to share this with the grandchildren, dad, I feel like I don't really know anything. Like, I don't really know how you and mom met. I don't know like what your escape was like. So for the first time, my dad and I talked for six hours. I'm not kidding. Like we didn't even eat. Like after breakfast, we sat down, we skipped lunch. I mean, maybe we took, you know, restroom breaks and had some coffee and water, but my dad was just so open and honest. And I learned so much about what it was like for them through his perspective, too, which I think is very different. And then I went on to my brothers, who again, I never knew their story. And I never knew how hard it was for them, you know, living in Vietnam at between, you know, eight to 14 after the fall of Saigon. And they all of a sudden had to become men. They had to go out and earn a living because they had these two, ba- you know, three baby sisters that they were trying to help my parents raise. And it's it was like their entire childhood was gone. And even in the U.S., it was gone, right? Because now it was like a whole different set of challenges that they had to come through. So I collected all of those stories. And along the way, I was also reading other Books and stories, and I was doing research on oral histories. And I didn't know what to do with the recordings, to be honest. I was like, okay, so now I have like over 20 hours of family recordings. I'm like, I could just stash it away and be like, I did my job. You know, um, I don't know everything, but I feel like I know so much more than I ever did growing up. But I had this itch in back of me that said, you know what? I cannot be the only one trying to understand this. And I when I was reading oral histories or actually researching oral histories and going to universities and trying to find these like audio archives that are so impossible to find and written archives and I just thought, you know, of course we don't know about this because any oral history project that's been done is like hidden somewhere in like a university or a library and then how is the everyday person like me supposed to be able to to know it? And I also started reading other books like around that time. The Sympathizer was extremely popular. I know that's fiction, but it's based on a lot of like lived experiences, as you know, how Viet Thanh Nguyen came up with the whole plot. T. Boo's The Best We Could, which I love, it's a graphic novel about just her upbringing and her parents' background. I read Tan Hai Lai. Inside Out and Back Again. So, all these books I was absorbing. And what I was also finding, which I think when we started the podcast in 2018, is so different than what the environment is right now for Asian American narrative. I just was finding that there were a lot of public, there weren't a lot of published books, number one. Number two, the ones that were published were typically memoirs or about an individual story. And I said, you know what, what about like just everyday people like me? who want to share their story? Or what about like just letting other people kind of reconnect with their own family stories? Even if their families aren't talking about it, they can learn about this history through other people's stories. And I also just loved podcasts at the time because I was commuting <laughs> a lot. So I was always, always listening. So I know I'm rambling, but long story short, I said, I'm going to start my own podcast. I have all these recordings and the first season is going to be about my family. I'm just going to put it out there. Um and it's going to be highly curated because I think Vietnamese people our heritage is centered around food, community and stories. And I thought, you know what? It's going to be curated and it's going to be like storytelling. And that every episode is going to be centered around something unique or specific to this individual's experience and perspective. Because I, while I do feel that millions went through this journey, while I do feel like this is a monumental part of history, that there are common threads across every individual's stories, the beauty of oral history is it's one, it's about one person's perspective, memory, and experience. And that is always unique. That is always unique. No individual is ever the same and no individual's interpretation and observation and outcome of what they've experienced is exactly the same. So I launched season one with my family. I don't even know if my dad and mom has actually ever (laughs) listened to the podcast. I'm sure they're like, oh, I don't want to hear myself talk. And from that point, I just started my own website. I started social media. I was like, hey, if you have a story to share, contact me. And to my surprise, organically, people were contacting me. And the first, you know, the first few, as you know, as a podcaster, I kind of had to find people. So I was watching documentaries. I was reading up, and I would reach out to people and be like, "Hey, you know, I read this about you, and I was I'm starting this podcast, and it's really simple. Nothing you have to do other than spend an hour talking on the phone with me. And and I think because I had season one out, it really, I think showed people that I was very honest and see it sincere in what I was trying to do. That I was willing to put my family's vulnerable story out there, and um you know that I was doing this because I really wanted other people to learn about this part of history. It's not taught in American history books. I don't know what the Vietnamese history courses are like for children. I can imagine it's it's censored in, in a lot of ways. I don't know what it's like overseas, but in the United States when they ta- teach about Vietnamese history, it's about the Vietnam War and it ends at the Vietnam War. And that's that's not just excluded to Vietnamese, that's I think all Asian American history is not um, widely taught in the public school system. That's something that here in the US we have been trying to change in the last year with the whole AAPI campaign. But for me, it was just all of those forces that drove me to start this. And having children of my own and feeling like their narrative wasn't represented. Feeling like at some point they're going to grow up like me and want to understand this. And I wanted to have resources out there. And the podcast was important to me. Like I was very specific on how I wanted the show to be. I didn't want it to be a long oral history of an hour or more that was unedited. Because I just thought, you know, these are interesting stories. But if they're not told in a storytelling format, people would lose interest. I also felt like I was designing it for people like myself where I was a full-time working mom. I had all these priorities and I really don't have a lot of time investment. So I would like something bite-sized and packed with content and drama. And and so the editing process, I just took um, a lot of time and craft with it. By the way, I knew nothing about podcasting. I went to night class at the local film center I YouTubed a lot of courses. It was trial and error. You know, I I feel like I knew how to tell a good story just from my corporate background in management consulting. I was used to like crafting pitches and stories and trying to like know where the hook is. But technically, I didn't have a lot of the other skills. And so all of that I had to learn myself until I finally just put an ad out there. And surprisingly, people volunteered their time creators, and our team is mostly based on volunteer, but people who are Vietnamese Americans who are creators and editors who believe in this mission are now a part of our team doing this with me. And I just, you know, it's been such an amazing journey. And Now, even more so, I see all these books that are coming out by Vietnamese authors and people sharing memoirs or fiction and really representing our narrative. And it makes me so proud that, you know, our podcast is a small part of that journey that the younger generations are able to experience. So I don't know if I answered all your questions. No, no,
0: I'm just, I'm mesmerized here listening. No, that's um, unbelievable. Like, so I'll just touch on a few things. Your last point there, though i think you're a big part of it not a small part i think going forward as far as i i have seen and i don't know every podcast in the world but i don't see anything else like yours podcasting is so massive so if anyone's looking for something like yours you're going to be the one to go to you've built up obviously an amazing community i've seen your social media and your website Uh, we can talk about your logo design as well in a minute because i know a bit about that that's in the background there behind you if you're watching this on youtube if you're listening You go and look up the Vietnamese podcast, the Vietnamese boat people, you'll see it. One funny point I want to make, is you say, about the Vietnamese history not being taught in the American public education system. They barely teach their own history correctly, so I wouldn't really trust them to teach anyone else's history, to be perfectly honest. So someone has to do it themselves, so so good job. but no, honestly, just I was absolutely loving listening to you there. I love the genesis story of anything, but the genesis story of this. I like to hear the behind the scenes of what was going through your head, why you, your choices as a mother, as a whatever, all those choices where you described at the beginning that made you want to do this. That and it really touched, uh, really resonated with me because. So the last time I went home to Scotland, so my grandfather now is ninety-two, and my grandfather is. Closer to me than a father. He's like my best friend in the world and and like a father figure to me. But he's 92 and he's very aware of his own mortality, as am I. And so for that same reason, I did the exact same thing as you. I sat down with him for an hour. It was my last day and I finally had some time. And I had my podcast microphone with me in my suitcase for this reason. I brought it with me home to Scotland. I had the Blue Yeti. I don't know if you know what the Blue Ice, Blue Yeti, Yeti, Blue Ice. Is that the name of it?
1: Blue Yeti. That's what I had too. That was my first mic.
0: (laughs) Me too. And it broke pretty soon after I got it. And I never, I never was able to get it fixed because I even went to like microphone places. I tried posting on expat groups here because that's how you survive in, in Vietnam I'm asking, does anyone know where I can get this microphone fixed? And I've still got it in the cupboard one day. If anyone's listening to this and you're in Saigon and you can fix microphones, please reach out to me because it's like a two and a half million dong, which is like 120 bucks microphone. And it's just been sitting there. Useless. Anyway, yeah, so you know. So I took that microphone back to Scotland and I sat down in my grandpa's spare bedroom with him for an hour. And I knew a lot of his stories. I wasn't really getting much new because, you know, through the years, my grandpa's a big talker. That's why I'm, I'm basically like a, a replica of my grandpa. And I got him to tell these stories that I kind of knew little bits about. I got him to tell them on on record as well, how he met my grandma. And it was the exact same, similar to you, like, uh, I wanted that on record for the family as well. We've got quite a close knit family, and so I recorded it and then I sent it in the WhatsApp group. Like, here's here's my conversation with with Grandpa. And you know what? I don't think I've ever listened to it again. And it, I see it on my computer in my folder that, that I have, and I see it. I'll, I'll listen to it one day. I don't really feel the need to yet. But so so beautiful to hear your story. And sorry, at one point you might have seen me looking at my phone, and I wasn't being rude. What I was looking up, you were talking about books and. One of the things that I don't know if you know, there's a website here called Saigonir, which features mm-hmm. up, you know Saigonir, and they just posted this book. I immediately went and uh, downloaded it on my Kindle, and I, I've just started reading it. It's called, uh, what's it called? Build Your House Around My Body by Violet Coopersmith.
1: Mm, I haven't I heard of it, I'm gonna write it down.
0: Yeah, I can send it to you as well. But yeah, Build Your House Around My Body by Violet Couplesmith. So if she's listening by chance, I'm going to be reaching out to her soon to see if she'll come on. But my point about that book and why I wanted to bring it up is what you said a little bit about literature and whatnot. The reason that this book was highlighted is because it's one of the few books that is not about the Vietnam War. Because even here in Vietnam, most and I don't know what Vietnamese writers write about, obviously, because I can't read it. But this is what the article said, which really caught my attention: was most Vietnamese literature is centered around the war, because that is just this, such a kind of big center of gravity for Vietnam. And yeah. this book is a, uh, I think it's fiction. It's maybe based on fact a little bit, but it's a, it's not like a story. It's not like a memoir or anything. But they're saying it's a really good book because it's not based on the Vietnam War, but it's still based on Vietnam and the situations and the the, the lifestyle. And I only just read the first couple of chapters. But being somebody who's lived here that long, you re- I realize, you know, if you read this in the US, you're like, oh, yep, okay, all right, okay. But I'm reading it, and it's like he rolls his bike down the small ramp outside the front of his house. And I was like, yeah, I know exactly what that looks like because yeah. we all <laughs> have them. He was eating hủ by the side of the road and I'm like so I don't so if you're reading it from the US or from anywhere in the world you have to read it and picture it in your head whereas I read it and I'm like yeah that's like down the road you know
1: I mean it is so hard but like you said to really um talk about Vietnamese diaspora with it not touching on the war in some capacity right like it is the um the point in which the diaspora overseas really exploded. But it also is such, a, it's not just the Vietnam War, it's the centuries of war that Vietnam had had to endure, right? I mean, the country was never really ruling itself. And I know we didn't want to like, dig into too much politics on the show, but it, it's a country that has been colonized, and really never really had its own voice. I think it's still trying to find its own voice, but it's doing an amazing job. But so it's hard to get away from all of that war conflict. The one thing about our podcast that I also emphasize to your point is that we are gonna touch about, we are gonna touch on the war, but it's not about the politics of the war. It's about the impacts that the war had had on individual everyday citizens, Vietnamese families and individuals. But I always say that our show and our stories, really what it centers around is what I call the human spirit. So a lot of what we curate in our storytelling format is I try to build an emotional connection to the listener like I want the listener to feel like he or she really understands this individual story as they're listening to it. Almost as if like they're sitting in the same room having coffee together or like tea or talking over a bowl of and really like intimate face-to-face like, you know, I'm gonna give you a peek into my diary type of thing. So like emotional connection is really important to us. But when I say centers around the human spirit is because I, I do believe that every story that we've tried to tell and this, that there are common strengths and emotions and resilience that humans in general have within them. And this podcast just happens to be sharing it about the Vietnamese community But you don't have to be Vietnamese to be able to connect to that inner strength, to know that like, yes, times, you know, can be very difficult, but we all have it within us to really fight through it or to heal in some capacity, even if we're still fighting through it. And so that's what we try to do with our stories is that, you know, yes, the history of it is always going to go back to the war in some capacity, but it's not about the war. It's about just you know, people in general, and we hope that, and we always try to end every episode with something that I call subtly inspiring. So, like, I always try to have a message at the end that says, you know what, we hope that you take away some inspiration and motivation from the episode without, you know, literally saying those words.
0: Both Saigon Children's Charity and Blue Dragon have emergency COVID appeals. The outbreak of the Delta variant is wreaking havoc on vulnerable communities across Vietnam. Families are struggling to survive. They need your help, especially impoverished children in lockdown areas. You can sponsor a COVID backpack now with Saigon Children's Charity, containing food staples, hygiene necessities, books and games to a child in COVID affected areas in Vietnam, so that they know they are taken care of physically and mentally. Or, in the north, you can donate an emergency food pack through Blue Dragon. It contains fruit and vegetables, rice and staples to keep children and families going. Food will be bought locally and will include a mix of fresh food and longer-lasting items. For families who are hard to reach, your donation will provide a cash grant to buy food at the local market. The links to donate are in the description, and if you're in a position to, please donate whatever you can. Thanks
1: you know, people in general. And we hope that, and we always try to end every episode with something that I call subtly inspiring. So like I always try to have a message at the end that says, you know what? We hope that you take away some inspiration and motivation from the episode without, you know, literally saying those words.
0: Now you do a fantastic job and listening to you now talk about it makes me realize again, even more. So you're talking about this format that you've went away and learned how to do and I guess as a listener I just listen to it and enjoy it but now I'm like oh yeah yeah you do do that and you have done that and you have crafted a story because it's a completely different format to what we're doing right now so as I said to you we're just going to have a conversation and we see where it goes and you know so it's, it's quite a simple format and I do edit it but that's more for quality rather than like storytelling effect but for you to go away and learn how to do that and then craft it to me because you do you have to I, I know how editing works and just editing this format can take a lot of time so for you to then chop it up make it into a story edit it put it together and then make it so good it's, it's really impressive so again well done
1: oh thank you yeah there's a lot of i say love sweat and tears and i the tear part my team and I always laugh about because we're like, these are like tearjerker moments. Yeah, there's a lot of them. <laughs> Just listening to the yeah. stories, yeah. But yeah, I mean, and I'm I'm so lucky to have a team that's willing to pour hours into this. And y- you get it as a podcaster. Like our shows are by design 30 minutes or less. We have some that are the exception, but the majority is 30 minutes or less. But that is like, I'm talking 60 plus hours of editing process to get yeah, to that 30 I can't minutes.
0: imagine for a show like yours. I mean, for me, yeah, I think maybe in the beginning for a one hour episode, most of mine are about an hour. You're looking at probably like two hours of editing, then more time for promo, sharing, all of this stuff. And One day, I don't want to do it because it'll probably make me cry, but I'd love to look at how much time and... If I put money towards that time, like how much time I've put in, and you know, I, and I want to say a massive, massive thank you. We do now have, we we've, we've started our own seven million bikes community with Patreon, and we now we're up to seven members of this week, which doesn't sound much, but it's like that's like tripled our membership in the last just month alone. People giving as little as four dollars a month, and I I want to I'm gonna write a message soon just to those people. To show how much of a difference that makes, because people don't also realize that podcasting costs money. Like you have your hosting costs, the cost of your microphone, the cost of your time, editing software, a whole bunch of other things. And then you get a website as well. I've got a website, the website costs money. So all these things cost money. So these people that are giving, um, they're becoming members, which means they do get benefits as well. So they get free tickets to my comedy shows and they get content early, things like this. But that's Wait, you do m-
1: comedy shows? <laughs> that's a different conversation.
0: Yeah, so I'm a stand up comedian and I, I I'm a I host comedy shows as well. So I started doing podcasts first and then doing comedy shortly after and now I do both. Oh
1: okay. Well that's a side note. I'd love to <laughs> check out one of your shows.
0: We can well they're all online now, so you can come and watch one. <laughs> I'll send you the link. But Yeah, so it's really nice to have that support from people. But you're talking about the editing. Yeah, so I mean, there's hours and hours goes into it. And again, this episode will be about an hour long. We spent half an hour getting the login details correct to be able to talk to each other. We've gone countless emails. So uh, none of that's a big hassle. It's all easy, but it's all like there's a lot of effort goes into that to make this this show, to make yours, which you're telling a story, yeah, 60 hours for, for half an hour. I can absolutely believe that. But I wanted to follow up on a couple of things you said, which I think you, so you'll So find this quite funny. The, one of the first ever episodes I, I recorded was with Lewis Wright, who's now the producer of this podcast. And uh, the, one of the questions I asked him, which I was asking every guest in that first season was, what is the common misconception about Vietnam? And I'll always remember his answer. Because what he said is, I have family back home who still think that everyone's going about in conical hats and it's all rice paddies. And I live in this like rural, like, you know, rural Vietnam, because that's what they're portrayed as in, in these every war movie and everything you see of Vietnam, you know. He's like, I have to explain to them, I live in like this big city, like metropolitan bustling city with all the mod cons. So that always makes me laugh because I think that's still a common misconception like you mentioned quite a while ago about people thinking Vietnam is one way. The other one, so another fellow comedian, Tommy Prochinsky, he has a really, really funny joke which is on the same premise that people back home and he's American don't understand that Vietnam's different. So he'll be on the phone to his dad and his dad will be like, oh my God, what's that noise? Is that a helicopter? And he's like, it's just a motorbike dad. (laughs) Like. (laughs) (laughs) But his dad still got this in his head that, you know, there's a. <laughs> so I think there is this massive misconception. But do you think so? My my question was going to be I can't tell if it's only because I'm doing this podcast and I'm speaking to people like yourself and Sarah Nguyen and all these amazing Vietnamese like Levi Oi, who's she's a DJ from Berlin, Lum Sai, who's a musician and an actor who's from Germany and now lives in Vietnam. Uh, I've talked to, um, I forgetting her name off the top of my head, but she's from the Vietnamese Overseas Organization. Am I just seeing it because, like, my unique perspective, I'm looking for it? Or is the Vietnamese, di- I say diaspora. You say it different to me because you're American. Di- How do you say
1: it? I say diaspora, but I think diaspora? it can be
0: pronounced either way. I say diaspora. I'm probably saying it wrong. <laughs> my wife's American. She tells me I say everything wrong. Is there a big shift or is there a big, up not uprising, but like are they becoming more prominent or or am I imagining that?
1: No, I, I actually questioned the same thing recently because I felt like in 2018 when I started the podcast, I felt like there were only a handful of books and communities or individuals that were really at the forefront of, you know, Sharing our narratives. And then I saw more and more. So I was like, is it just because I'm paying more attention or I'm in this space and I'm swimming in this circle? And I think it's a combination of both. What I do think, and we, this is part of our how we defined the organic growth of Vietnamese boat people podcast. I think that what we're seeing is that generations like myself and younger were all coming of age. And what that means is that the, you know, we're at almost the 50th anniversary of the fall of Saigon. So it it feels like it's the pivotal moment in which our generation, it's not that we have forgotten about the past, but we we have less of a baggage than our parents do. We are a lot more culturally assimilated to the countries in which we've grown up in. And we have a lot, we're raised to have Voice, you know, build our own voice, and whether or not our parents want us to, because that is like a whole set of topics <laughs> that I think
0: in I've future from seasons, other guests. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: in future seasons, I think we're going to deep dive into some of those topics. But whether or not our parents want us to have our own voice and to chart our own journeys, you know, because they are still heavily, you know, we're still heavily influenced by them and how we were brought up. It's hard not to want to chart our own path because we live in countries where that is encouraged. And I also think, you know, technology, social media, all of that stuff is at our fingertips. So it's so much easier to have a voice, to share a story if you have one, to put an opinion out there. So all of these forces, I think, is at the point where my generation, Sarah's, people that are younger than us, I think you're going to see more and more of it. I think we come at it from a very different perspective than our parents. I think in some ways, our parents had experienced so much that it was too hard for them to think about anything other than survival and success. And the interpretation of success between generations is completely different, right? But for them, it's like all those sacrifices that they've made, it doesn't matter if, if, if you aren't, you know have a lucrative job, have a home, (laughs) getting married and raising kids. For most of them, that's what success is, is be, and and having a great education because it's all of those things that when they were growing up, they didn't really have a chance to do. And so they have, you know, worked so hard so that their children could. And I just feel like we're coming of age. We're in this environment where like we're, you know, we're, we have a lot more confidence to Mm -hmm. speak up and speak out and, I think to answer your question, I think it's a little bit of both. I think we, because of the media space that we're in, we're seeing a lot more than maybe the common person, but I also think it's a lot more available. Like I was speaking to, so one thing that our podcast reaches that I didn't intend it to reach was actually teachers and professors. So I created just for like everyday people who love podcasts or who just wanted to be able to you know, learn about the Vietnamese diaspora in bite size. But we've had recently in the last year or so, a lot of um, courses reach out to us that are studying either Asian American history, mostly at the university level, or ones that are just studying critical refugee studies. They have made our podcast a part of their uh, syllabus. And it's because they were like, well, it's so great because you're sharing these experiences that we teach on paper and via textbook. And now we have something that is like, you know, in first person, that someone who's lived through things that, you know, our students are reading, like they can now, you know, People interpret it. People could
0: papers about your podcast. That is insane.
1: I mean, and we've had we've had graduate students reach out and say, you know, would it be okay if we reference your podcast as part of this study? And I'm like, please, we designed <laughs> it for public use. I was like, yes, it's free. It's for your taking. And I hope that, you know, it, it opens up different perspectives for what you're trying to study. But those are the things where I think that Nowadays, going back to the part about how just our history isn't taught when we were growing up, nowadays, our children are at least in some ways getting more exposed to some of it than we ever have. So I think I think it's only going to go up from here, hopefully
0: so to to carry on what you said, I do agree. I kind of thought it is that coming of age. It's that time where people are. Between, you know, that 20 to 40 age, as I say, like, you know, people who are becoming DJs or fashion designers every day this week, it's about Kong Trees design some other dress that a famous person's wearing. You've got Kelly Marie Tran, who's in Star Wars. You've got all these Vietnamese people of that age coming of age and making positive contributions. Not that they weren't making positive contributions before, but now more visible contributions and and then it comes through like the coffee and the food as well the food obviously but i think that's maybe what's changing is vietnamese just used to you just used to think of vietnamese food you know there's a whole episode on bloody king of the hill about how he ate fun it's the most amazing thing in the world it's the stupidest episode <laughs> i've ever seen you know what i'm talking about now you know it's a, it's different and i while you were talking there it made me think have you watched master of none by aziz ansari yes So the episode when him and his friend kind of do what you do and they interview their fathers, or they don't interview them, but they talk to their fathers because they realize it's first generation. Are they first? I always get this confused. Are they first generation immigrants, second generation?
1: So everybody gets this confused, actually. Um, (laughs) Okay, good. I feel
0: really bad there for a second. I was like, how am I getting this wrong? No,
1: everybody gets it confused because... um, it depends on what you're referencing. So first generation immigrant is when you were born in a different country and you came to that country as an immigrant. You know, second generation is your parents were the ones that came and you were born in this in the new country. But everybody gets it confused because, you know, I call myself first generation Vietnamese American. And I'm technically 1.5 is a term. Like we had a whole season on 1.5. And 1.5, the definition, really, or how we've interpreted on our season is that you come here as children. So you're kind of not, like, immersed in your Vietnamese culture in Vietnam because you never really grew up there. But you're not really American either (laughs) because you came here (laughs) as a child. So we call this hybrid world, and that's where the, like, 1.5 generation But everybody gets it confused. I still get it confused. I feel like use it <laughs> okay, however you on and just explain the context.
0: <laughs> well, yeah. Well, we had a guest on the last season, or even the season before, Chris Nguyen. And I'd never heard of this term before. He described himself as a third culture kid. Mm, Have yes. you had this one? So his parents were from yes. two different cultures. One of them was his and dad he developed is Vietnamese. His own. And then But he was born in the UK, but his mom and dad, so he was from these three cultures. Now, I'd never heard that before. And I was like, wow, okay, that's a whole nother like...
1: Yes. So third culture is similar to that hybrid definition I just use. is third culture is essentially when you neither are deeply rooted in one or the other, but you're a hybrid of both. And so you therefore have developed or you're part of a community of a third culture. And I think it actually originally started with maybe like the expat community. So expat kids were kind of in that hybrid world, but since then it's very much talked about, you know, in generations like mine, where like, we are living in this third culture, right? Because we have the Viet culture, but a lot of ways it's evolved too, right? So Viet culture in America, is not necessarily the same exact viet culture that's happening in vietnam right so i think i think third culture that's what it's about it's sort of like this hybrid combination of different cultures and countries that then the individual takes forward
0: Well, touching on this and I, this was i was going to ask you about this so you left you arrived in america in 1981 right and so you learned you said you spoke vietnamese and you well you speak vietnamese you learned from your parents But we've learned this on the podcast through interviewing people. You speak a different Vietnamese to people in Vietnam. And I found this fascinating that Vietnamese language for people who left around that time period, their language stopped. So like the word for airport is the one I always can reference. So there's now a different word for airport than from when your parents left.
1: Wait, what is it now? (laughs) <laughs> Fi Chung is how I would say airport.
0: It's not Fee Chung I'm tough. I can't remember. No, my you know, I, my, I don't know. I can't speak Vietnamese and I can't even <laughs> remember the basic parts. But Fee Chung was the one that one of our guests, it was Tam Le. I don't know. Do you know Tam Le, who's based in Houston? She's the, the chef.
1: Lim, or Lemon
0: Tam. She's a, she's amazing. It was her told me about this because she landed with her parents, and her parents were calling it Fi Chu. Or is that what you said? Yeah, and then she's Feijung. like. Oh, and she's that's no, it's not that. We don't call it that anymore. And then I had a guest on this season just came out. The episode just came out. to Nva, who runs a, a language school here. And her target market is Vietcues and teaching Vietcues and updating their Vietnamese because they moved back to Vietnam thinking they can yes. speak Vietnamese. And then they speak Vietnamese and people are like, what is that yes. you're talking?
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it is a real thing. So... You know, there, this is another actually topic that we're going to explore in future seasons. But <clears throat> going back to my generation and younger, it's we learn the language through our parents and we. My parents sent me to summer school for Vietnamese language, which I hated, and now I totally regret not paying attention. The so, like guess I guess to
0: say that the second guess. We I, had, uh, I think it was Limin Town.
1: I am not. I am not unique in that perspective. <laughs> I, I bet like ninety-five percent Vietnamese Americans you speak to are going to say very similar things.
0: Yeah, she said she um, hated it. Then she moved here and she had to relearn Vietnamese, and she's like, uh, I had to spend so much money to learn Vietnamese. Why didn't I just learn it? When I was younger. And then
1: you regret it. You regret it, right? You grow up and you're like, Oh, God, what a valuable thing that I totally, you know, (laughs) did not appreciate. But so, yeah, I read and write like an eight-year-old. I speak (laughs) probably more like a 16-year-old. Yes. And it's (laughs) kind of similar to like, but think about like the English language. The English language evolves as well. So I think it's very similar. You know, it's like the word groovy is it used but you know so i think it i think it's similar i think every language evolves and to your point we uh, we took my my parents had the language they came to the united states and they taught us what the language was when they left and so that's what we know but there is this whole i think i would call it sort of like almost like similar to the coming of age I, it's like a 360 journey where i think you know our generation w- lost our language, essentially. Like, even if we kept our heritage, we've pretty much lost our language. And I think there's a movement to circle back. Like, right now, I really would love to teach my children Vietnamese. I've been trying to. I, I live in a mixed race household. But my husband's not Vietnamese. So, like, it's really hard to be disciplined when you're the only one in the house. And that was even harder because I was a full time working mom. And so, like, they weren't interacting with me as much as they were with like their preschool teacher or, you know, so it becomes very difficult. But I think the 360 is that like everything that we try to not focus on growing up, like who needs Vietnamese language? I'm just trying to learn English. I'm just trying to like make it in school and succeed is coming back to be like, oh my God, my kids have to learn Vietnamese. Like they can succeed in both Vietnamese and English. Like, why did I ever think that you couldn't do both? You know. So you're seeing that, and I think it's in other cultures too. I don't think it's limited to just Vietnamese culture, but it's. I think it's part of just like the um, the immigrant journey, to be honest, like any immigrant family comes over and as much as you want your children to hold on to their heritage, you also want them to assimilate. So you're a lot more forgiving, right? When they start to learn the English language versus try to retain. Their heritage language, so um, I think it's just kind of that journey that we're experiencing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So tell us before we're going to go into the final questions that we ask everyone. Tell us what's coming up. Tell me more. I, I said in the beginning. Tell me about the conversation starter kit. And I, yes. I do want to mention going all the way back to the beginning. You, you touched on your parents' story. There's seven of you. You left in different stages. I've listened to the episode. Obviously, as I've said. If you're listening, please go and listen to the Vietnamese boat people. Listen to that first episode. It will blow your mind what your family went through. And they all successfully made it to the US, right? Which is just yes. like the odds are so stacked against you, which is unbelievable. Before we started this episode, I was just telling my wife about it. And I was like, "You should." her parents went through this amazing thing. Like the brothers had to hide in the house. The authorities came after them. Like the the when I was telling her I was like you know your, your mum had to get the whole village to lie that your dad had like taken yeah. off and like what was it was it he'd lost loads of money and he'd just taken off or something like that yeah um, I was like just unbelievable what this family went through to get there so yeah please go and listen to that so before we get through to the final questions we'll just tell everyone about this conversation starter kit because I think when I read that I was like, wow. As you can tell by the way I've been talking, I've interviewed lots of different guests who we've touched on this subject lots of time. And when I saw that on your website, I was like, wow, I bet that's so helpful to so many people.
1: Yes, no, I appreciate uh, you asking.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of 7 Million Bikes, a Vietnam podcast. We hope you enjoy hearing our guest stories. If you haven't already, please make sure to subscribe to the show and turn on notifications so you never miss a new episode. Thank you so much to our producer, Lewis Wright, for making sure the show sounds as good as possible for you. And also a big thanks to the 7 Million Bikes community members and everyone who supports us. Don't forget, if you haven't already, you can join the community today. The link is in the description and you'll get free event tickets, free 7 Million Bikes face mask and invites to special member events. Also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. And I'm still ashamed to say this tiktok most of all if you can please donate to saigon children's charity or blue dragon's children foundation's covid appeals remember we have six seasons of stories to share with you so check them out if you haven't already and we hope you can listen to future episodes too so you can laugh connect and discover okay. cheers I'll